Hello and welcome back to another week of The Days That Music Died, part of our summer series and of course our at-home sessions. I hope you all are well and are staying safe as we continue throughout this pandemic and uh, stage of our lives at this moment in time. But I'm excited to be back for this week and to... To get back to the swing of things, really, uh, the summer series is nice because it allows me to focus on the show in the off week, but also not focus on the show as much as well, which is kind of nice ha- having a, a brief pause every once in a while. And uh, so so that's been uh, kind of enjoyable, I suppose, but it also is weird Do, going from a constant weekly period to having just a week off or even when you get into the summer, normal summer and it's just not there, no show. That's also really different and an odd feeling as well. And so it's been, um, that's been, it's been interesting. But I am happy, I am glad, and I'm excited to be back for the days that music died. Another episode of the At Home Sessions. Today is June fourth, twenty twenty. It is getting to be kind of warm out there now. Uh, We are definitely starting to experience some summer weather, but I love it. Um, I've got my normal get up and I'm I'm ready to go. So (laughs) I'm excited, but let's go ahead and get into today's show of the days that music died. All right, before we get into what life was like and before we put on our time traveling caps, I just want a quick reminder that we are recording and that podcast will be edited and up on Anchor Podcasts, the Anchor Podcast app, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other apps, which you can all find on the Anchor Podcast app as well. And I'll be up later this evening evening and a quick reminder to like us on Facebook right here at the days that music died and to like us on Twitter at the days of music died as well that's uh, something that I've been really bad about promoting and about posting and so that's a goal of mine for this summer is to get better at that in preparation for next fall once I get back on campus to really um, start tackling on Twitter and get uh, get our presence out there more on Twitter as well but you can like us They're on Facebook and on Twitter as well. But let's go ahead and get our time traveling caps on, our thinking caps on, and let's go back in time to what life was like in 1964. Now, just a few weeks ago, almost a month ago or so, we were in 1964, but we're back in 1964, and uh, about a month ago, it was Charlie Parker is who we were focusing on. But who is the other artist that passed away in 1964? Well... We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, life in 1964, well, here's some statistics for you. The inflation rate was 1.28%. The Dow Jones was 874 of that year. The average cost of a new house in 64 was $13,000. An average income per year was roughly $6,000. Gas per gallon was about $0.30. Cents. The average cost of a new car was $3,500. A loaf of bread was $0.21. Cents. A postage stamp was about $0.05. Cents. The average Average monthly rent was roughly $115, and a movie ticket was $1.15. And so I, I do believe a month ago we went to deeper statistics for that. But here's just a few things to to kind of note and to compare to from 64 to today and from the times that we're living in now as well, uh, the differences, but also the similarities. In 1964, a lot of civil rights 
activism was occurring. We have that again here in 2020, and especially now. We have a lot of things, and I really feel when referring to what would life was like then in 1964 compared to today's age in, in 2020, you have a lot of comparisons. Uh, besides the pandemic, there are a lot of comparisons, and I think one of them most notably is being the civil rights movement. I, I truly do believe that in history, over, through, over time, we will start to see the, the years 1964 to 1970, really, are very pivotal. And you have lots of books, you have lots of movies, shows, whatever you can think of being written, being focused on, being filmed and directed on those years, on that time period. I really believe that you're going to eventually see that in history with and in the future with 2020, with this time period. You have that happening right now. And, um, you know, it's it's really interesting. I, I've been reading a lot about the year 1965 in general. I've, I've been listening to a new podcast, and it's been really, been really neat to kind of hear the differences from today to then, but also the similarities, but also hearing more history, a lot of the history that you didn't realize happened at that time that's really important. Um, and so that's really interesting. As as well, personally, I, I really am intrigued by that. And that leads in to our events in 1964. We have the Vietnam War is going on. Lots of just awfulness going on with the Vietnam War. We, the Boston Strangler, Albert DeSalvo, is captured. The Warren Commission, um, where the verdict is J the JFK assassination by Lee Harvey Oswald was acted alone. We have the Civil Rights Act of 1964 brought to the country by Lyndon B. Johnson, the president at this time. Uh, MLK Martin Luther King Jr. receives a Nobel Peace Prize in 64. We have the Heart of Atlanta Motel versus the United States case in 64. The Mariner for Spacecraft is launched in that year. The Beatles' first U.S. album release is also launched in the U.S. in 64. We, uh, President Johnson starts the War on Poverty campaign in 64. We have the first Ford Mustang is released by Ford. The 24th Amend Amendment, the removal of a poll tax when voting in 64. And the race riots in Harlem, Chicago, and Philly, just to name a few cities, all happening in 64 as well. And then pop culture in the year. Well, this is a big year for pop culture as well. Lots of different things happening. And films. We have popular films such as The Carpetbaggers, My Fair Lady, uh, It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World, and Mary Poppins all being released in 64. And then and some of those being some very popular, well-renowned, still classic movies such as Mary Poppins. Also, popular music, popular artists and bands in 64. We have the Beatles, Roy Orbison, Ella Fitzgerald, and Simon and Garfunkel, just to name a few. The Rolling Stones start to get popping um, in 64 as well, along with other bands as well. And, of course, Lyndon B. Johnson defeats Barry Goldwater, Goldwater in the U.S. 1964 presidential election. And that is what a brief look into what life in 1964 looked like, resembled, felt like, and such. Let's go ahead and move into today's focus. 
Today's focus is none other than Sam Cooke. Samuel Cooke was born in Clarksdale, Mississippi in 1931. Fun fact, he actually added the E in Cooke in 1957 to signify a new start to his life. Which we'll talk about that new start later on in the show. He was the fifth of eight children of the Reverend Charles Cook, a minister in the Church of Christ, and his wife, Annie May. The Cooks moved to Chicago in 1933. There, Cook attended Doolittle Elementary and Wendell Phillips Academy High School, the same school that Nat King Cole had attended just a few years earlier. Sam Cooke began his career with his siblings in a group called the Singing Children when he was six years old. He first became known as the lead singer with the Highway QCs as a teenager, having joined the group at the age of 14. Cook befriended fellow gospel singer, singer and neighbor Lou Rawls, who sang in a rival gospel group throughout this time. His career, for Sam Cooke's career, the Solsters, he started off kind of with the Solsters. This is the group that really put him on the map, especially in gospel music. And so in 1950, Cooke replaced gospel tenor R.H. Harris as the lead singer of the gospel group, the Solsters. Founded by Harris himself, who uh, later signed, the group actually signed with Specialty Records, with Harris kind of being the main factor, and then the group, once replacing him with Cooke, continued to be under that contract. Their first recording with Cook's leadership was actually Jesus Gave Me Water in 1951. They recorded many songs such as Peace in the Valley, Jesus Paid the Debt, and One More River, some of which Cook wrote himself. Cook was often credited with bringing gospel music to the attention of a younger crowd of listeners. Many girls who would rush to the stage to get a glimpse of Cook uh, attended these shows as well. And then we move into this crossover pop success solo career of sorts for Sam Cook. Cook actually had 30 U.S top 40 hits between the year 1957 and 1964. That's really impressive, by the way, especially for an artist moving from this gospel genre into this crossover pop and into a solo career. That's that's impressive. And and to do it that fast in that short a time is just insane. And, and who knows if he had been able to live longer, who knows how many more hits he would have eventually gained along the way. Major hits like You Send Me, A Change Is Gonna Come, Cupid, Chain Gang, and Wonderful World are some, are just some of the popular songs of his catalog and uh, throughout this period of time. Twisting the Night Away was actually one of his best-selling albums and one of his first. Cook was among one of the first modern black performers and composers to focus on the business side of their musical careers. And not only um, black, mo- modern black performers, but also modern performers at this time as well not a lot of musicians were going out and saying okay i'm, I'm gonna focus on my business side i'm gonna do my own thing because that's what's best for me no they not a lot were doing that um especially uh black performers and, and this is really where you see cook and you see how he thinks how his mind works you see what is important to him and you see how he is simply He's living his life. He, he's got a career, and this is what he's going to do. This is what he loves to do, and this is what he's supposed to do. And so you see here that Cook is not just making music, but he's adventuring onto the business side and realizing that there's more to music than just business. Music is 
also a business. And that's something that I think a lot of performers over time and even today forget about. Music is also a business. You may not want it to be, but it's turned into one just like everything else. And so Sam Cooke is realizing this. And Sam Cooke is saying, all right, music is a business. I'm going to take an extra step and I'm going to get myself out there. I'm going to make money. I'm going to put my music out there. And probably the most important thing in music history, in the music industry, and still today in music. I'm going, I am going to own my music. Even today in 2020 with a lot of self, you know, independent artists, that's still rare to find, especially with publishing companies and with labels and signing record deals. It's hard to find. But Sam Cooke goes after a while, especially with his solo career, he says, I'm going to own my music. Yes, he has other people in on the deal with him on the publishing company and and his manager at the time, Alan Klein, as well, which we'll talk more about here in a few minutes. But Sam Cooke goes out and says, I'm going to own my music. That's important. That's important for the music industry. That's important for black performers. That's important for musicians overall. And I think it goes unnoticed at times at how important that is and at how important it is that he was doing this. And so it it really is so cool to me. If you can't tell, I, I actually, I really do love that tidbit about Sam Cooke and that he, he pushed his way in there and he said, I'm owning my music. I am going to get on this side of the music industry and I'm going to make a pathway for myself and others like me. And that's important. That really is important. Cook was also an active voice in the civil rights movement throughout this time as well. Uh, he was very active. He had a lot to do with Martin Luther King Jr., lot, uh, lots of leaders throughout the civil rights movement. In 1956, he actually released his first pop soul single, Lovable, a remake of the gospel song, Wonderful. It was released under the alias Dale Cook, which he was also known by. And in order to not alienate his gospel fan base, he went under this moniker of Dale Cook. At this time, there was a considerable considerable stigma for gospel singers performing secular music. Cook's vocals were recognized quite easily, immediately, frankly, and it fooled no one. <laughs> I laughed out loud when I read this. Um, he tried to go under this alias, and then people were like, that's Sam Cook. Dale Cook? Who's Dale Cook? That's Sam Cook. <laughs> and so, um, fooled no one. I, I think that is uh, pretty funny. Uh, the head of specialty records, Art Roop, actually gave his blessing for Cook to record secular music under his real name, but was unhappy about the type of music he was making along with his producer at the time. Roop figured he would sound like Little Richard, but instead he covered George Gershwin when Roop uh, came in during a session, and uh, Roop became quite upset because that's not what he expected and not what he wanted. So Cook left the label after an argument between Roop and his producer, and Lovable wasn't a hit or flop, but uh, kind of showed Cook's future. It didn't do much, and sales didn't have much popularity, didn't really gain any radio play. It was more of, okay, this is Sam Cook. This is good. His voice is incredible. All right. This will show he will get better, though. This is where his vocals are amazing, but he's going to get better. He's going to get used to being by himself as a solo artist. He's going to get used to going by his name. 
It's his career now. And so this is just the start. This is one single. He'll have more success. His future will be bright. Yeah, that, that's kind of how it was portrayed after the release of Lovable. And taking the name Sam Cooke and an unlikely, unlikely endorsement by his father, Cook actually sought after a fresh start in pop music. And this is where Cook with an E at the end comes into play. It's no longer Sam Cook C double O K. It's Sam Cook C double O K E. And this is that first start. This is that we're gonna press the redo button and Cook is starting a new chapter of his life and he's looking at life in a different lens, in a different light. And it's really important that his father, the minister, says, Yeah, totally. He gives his endorsement, gives his word saying, yes, I agree that this is what you need. This is the right thing to do. Not only to leave gospel music and to go into secular music, to go into pop music, but also being willing to change his last name. That's really important. And I I, I think uh, it shows that even his family was in there with him saying, yes, this fresh start is something that we all need as well as you, Sam. And so in 1957, Cook signed with Keen Records and performed on ABC's Guy Mitchell show. His first hit, You Send Me, was released as the B-side of Summertime uh, and spent six weeks at number one on the Billboard R&B charts. The song also spent three weeks at number one on the Billboard pop charts, too. In 1961, Cook started his own record label, SAR Records, with J.W. Alexander and his manager, Roy Crane. Cook's Cook's label soon added The Sims Twins, The Valentinos, Mel Carter, and Johnny Taylor. Uh, At this time, The Valentinos were also fronted by Bobby Womack, which is a very important um, name to not only know, but also to know when it comes in the case of Sam Cook. And we'll get to that later on in the show. Cook also created a publishing and management firm named CAGS before leaving Keen Records to sign with RCA Victor. Chain, the single Chain Gang reached number two on the Billboard pop charts, and uh, throughout this time, Cook actually focused on mostly singles, as did other R&B artists at the time. So throughout his solo career, Cook is releasing albums and he's recording records, but he's not as focused on them as he is singles. The biggest thing is making sure you have three to five singles to release and to have, you know, an A and B side on a record and put it out there for people to listen to and to buy and for radio play. And that's what's important. So that's why you have, when you talk about Sam Cooke, you have a collection of 10 singles that most people are going to know if you know who Sam Cooke is. And it's because those singles were not only popular, but they were also the ones featured on these vinyls, the ones that were being promoted as singles off the record. It wasn't just, okay, I'm going to play a record and, ooh, track seven, that's a good song, you know, People would hear that, hear the record, and they'd say, if if you bought the record in whole, and you'd say, yes, this is this is really good, and I like track seven, but you have a difference. People aren't, now you have, you're more likely to find people say, okay, track seven is really good. I'm going to take that song and play it on the radio if you have that ability to. But for the most part, we play singles on the radio, especially with at this time, you played singles on the radio. You you sent the vinyl to the radio station, and the DJ said, Ooh, I like the B-side of this. We're going to put it on. Here is Chain Gang, and there you go. And um, so Cook is focusing mainly on singles at this time, as did a lot of R&B artists, but also a lot of artists in general. You really, it's not until the end of the 60s, 
with the Beatles. Bands like the Beatles, bands like the Rolling Stones, bands like Pink Floyd, bands like the Animals, they come out and say, alright, so the album is important as well, and that's where the concept album comes into place. But, unfortunately, Cook never gets to that point. Cook passes away in 64, and we don't we don't get that that leverage that aspect from Cook. Instead, we just have this singles aspect where he's releasing singles rather than albums. And so he actually had 29 top 40 hits on the pop charts, um, along with the statistics I, mean, I statistic I mentioned earlier with the R&B charts. He was a prolific songwriter and wrote most of the songs he recorded and actually oversaw some of the song arrangements, actually majority of the song arrangements for the songs that he released. Despite mostly releasing singles, Cook released a well-received blues LP in 1963, Nightbeat, and possibly his most critically acclaimed studio album, Ain't That Good News, in 1964, not too long before he passed away. In 1963, Cook signed a five-year contract for Alan Klein to manage CAG's music and SAR Records and made him his manager as well. Klein managed to a managed Cook to a five-year deal with RCA Victor in which a holding company, Tracy Limited, LTD, named after his daughter, would produce and own Cook's records. RCA Victor would receive exclusive distribution rights in the contract in exchange for 6% royalty payments and payments for the recording sessions to go to Cook and Alan Klein. For his personal life, Cook married twice. Cook's first marriage was to singer and dancer Dolores Elizabeth Milligan Cook, who took the stage as D.D. Mohawk. In 1953, um, they married in 1953, but divorced in 1958, and in 1959, she was killed in an automobile accident in Fresno, California. She was survived by her son, Joey, and although divorced, Cook still paid for all all of her funeral's expenses. And in 1958, Cook married Barbara Campbell in Chicago. His father performed the ceremony, actually, and they had three children. Linda, who was born in 1953, Tracy, who was born in 1960, who the holding company was named after, and Vincent, who was born in 1961, but unfortunately drowned in the family swimming pool in 1963. Three months after Cook's death, Cook's widow Barbara married his good friend Bobby Womack, uh, who I told you to remember that name. And Cook's daughter, Linda, actually had an affair later on with Womack, but then married Womack's brother, Cecil Womack, and they became the duo Womack and Womack. So, as I mentioned earlier in the show, you have the Bobby Womack, remember that name, and it's important because... Linda has an affair with Womack, or, or his daughter has an affair with Womack after Barbara marries Womack, and, and by the way, they were good friends, Cook and Womack as well, and so you have this uh, happen, and then, like I said, Linda has the affair, and then later on marries his brother Cecil, and then they create the duo Womack and Womack, which is um, fairly popular in the soul and R&B and even funk genres. And in November 1958, Cook was involved in a car accident en route from St. Louis to Greenville. His driver, Edward Cunningham, was unfortunately killed, while Cook, guitarist Cliff White, Cliff White and singer Lou Rawls were all hospitalized. And in just a moment, we'll get to our, tra- our tragic day, if I can talk. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about this week's playlist for Sam Cook. I'll go ahead and post the playlist here, and it is already public and live for you to start streaming. For the music... I really tried to feature um, a lot of his solo career tunes, a lot of the ones that really uh, made him popular, but also songs that um, 
just were important for Sam Cooke's career as well. There's a couple live tunes on here, lots of songs like This Little Live of Mine, Live at the Copa, a few tunes that are actually recorded at the Copa. Lots of songs that really, you know, covers and also songs that he personally wrote and and became kind of anthems for him as well. And that includes A Change Is Gonna Come, which was an important anthem and and really kind of helped shape um, the years of 1964-1965 and the rest of the civil rights movement throughout the 60s as well. And so songs such as Cupid, songs... um, you Send Me, Chain Gang, Another Saturday Night, Twisting the Night Away are all being featured on this playlist and being um, kind of being used for Cook as something that as important and as the next next wave of R&B and soul music of sorts, kind of entering this next wave saying, okay, Sam Cook did this, I can do this too type of thing happening. And so all, all kinds of music being featured on this playlist, um, Falling in Love, It's All Right, Ain't That Good News, Since I Met You Baby, When I Fall In Love, classic Nat King Cole cover, Nothing Can Change This Love, um, I Wish You Love, What A Wonderful World by Sam Cooke, um, Bring It On Home To Me, possibly one of my favorites, one of his biggest hits of all time, and uh, A Change Is Gonna Come, as I mentioned as well, being featured on this playlist as well. But go ahead and uh, getting into our tragic day for Sam Cook. At the age of 33, Sam Cook died on December 11th, 1964 at the Hacienda Motel in Los Angeles. Now, before we move any further, Sam Cook's death is unfortunately filled with a lot of controversy. There's a lot of speculation. There's still not a whole lot of certainty ex- as to what exactly happened. And um, lots of good and bad mixed in there as well. And it, it really is... A tragic, odd death for Sam Cooke, um, especially with the career he lived and the man he was. It really is up in the air, very, very odd sort of death. And so at the age of 33, again, Sam Cooke died on December 11th, 1964 at the Hacienda Motel in Los Angeles. The police found Cooke's corpse after responding to separate reports of a shooting and kidnapping at the motel. Cook sustained a gunshot wound to the chest, which was later determined to have pierced his heart. The hotel manager, Bertha Franklin, claimed to have shot him in her defense. Her account was immediately disputed by Cook's, by Cook's acquaintances. Many accounts on the matter, um, from the girl involved, from Bertha Franklin, from Cook's family, from the people at the diner that Cook and Alyssa Boyer attended earlier, just a lot of altering, differing things happening, differing views and opinions happening throughout this night. Bertha Franklin, the hotel manager, claims that an altercation occurred between the two, asking where the woman, aka Alyssa Boyer, was and where he had, where he arrived with, whom he had arrived with and where she had gone. Um, This woman was identified as Alyssa Boyer. She called the police from a tele, Boyer actually called the police from a telephone booth and was able to escape from Cook. According to the two accounts, Cook went to the manager's office and demanded to know where the girl was. Cook's family doesn't believe the exact events it claims, uh, doesn't exactly believe that these exact events occurred this way or happened this way, and actually believes that, um, that a plot to assassinate him was enacted that includes his manager, Alan Klein, which, who could have been involved since he owned, since he owned all the rights to Cook's recordings. 
um, Klein was partnership with Cook, and so Klein could have wanted all of the ownership to the recordings. Uh, lots, lots of money he could have earned, uh, according to Cook's family. The events that took place are still uncertain to this day, and Cook's death is still tragic and unfortunate. This form, the formerly gospel-turned R&B iconic vocalist, possessed a voice of gold and uses and used his music and and voice to join the civil rights movement. Um, and, and so these very tragic death and very up in the air who who knows still exactly what happened for cook this is um a very uncertain tragedy that occurs good and, and bad is placed into here um you have a, a a great musician but also a possible bad situation occur and so it's very very up in the air with still to this day it's one of those that they believe they have it fairly solved, but at the same time, there are accounts and there are moments of time throughout this that are still left up in the air. So no one really exactly knows how Cook, how what led to Cook's death. We know that Bertha Franklin shot Cook, and we know that um, Cook was shot in the chest, right, directly pierced in the heart, and that's what killed him immediately. And so... Um, you know that is for certain, but you don't know the other side there, and, and that that's something that um, still up in the air to this day. And if we don't know by now, I highly doubt we'll ever really know exactly how Sam Cooke, what led to Sam Cooke's death, ultimately, is what I should say. But getting into his musical career and to his accolades, in 1986, Cook was inducted as a charter member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and in 1987, Sam Cook was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and in 1989, Cook was re-elected to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when the Soul Stirrers were inducted as well. On February 4th, 1994, Cook received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for his contributions to the music industry, which is located on 7051 Hollywood Boulevard. Although Cook never won a Grammy Award, he received the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1999, presented by Larry Blackman of funk supergroup Cameo. And in 2004, Rolling Stone ranked Cook 16th on its list of the 100 Greatest Artists of All Time. In 2008, Cook was named the 4th Greatest Singer of All Time by Rolling Stone. In 2008 as well, Cook received the first plaque on the Clarksdale Walk of Fame located at the New Roxy Theater. And in 2009, uh, Cook was honored with a marker on the Mississippi Blues Trail in Clarksdale. In June 2011, the city of Chicago renamed a portion of East 36th Street near Cottage Grove Avenue as the honorary Sam Cooke Way to remember the singer near a corner where he hung out and sang as a teenager. And in 2013, Cook was inducted into the National Rhythm and Blues Music Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio, at Cleveland State University. The founder of the National Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame Museum, Lamont Robinson, said he was the greatest singer ever to sing. The Sam Cooke quote, A change is gonna come is on a wall of the contemplative court, a space for reflection in the Smithsonian's National Museum of, of African American History and Culture. The museum opened in 2016, and Cooke was inducted into the Mississippi, Mississippi Musicians Hall of Fame in this year as well. So Sam Cooke, even years, and I mean years after he passed away, Sam Cooke is... His legacy is continuing to live on. The music that he's given us continues to live on. And Change is Gonna Come is still considered an anthem for the civil rights movement and still considered an anthem for this day and age as well and everything that's going on in 2020. Sam Cooke 
has music that is featured in TV shows and movies and anything you can think of being focused on in books, being sampled, being played continuously. I mean, being featured on this show right here. Sam Cooke continues to be this iconic R&B legend that had so much talent in his pinky, let alone his entire body. And then Sam Cooke was just incredible with what he did. And he was one of the leading forefront members and people of society, of the music industry, and of the black community to go out there and say, I want a piece of the business side as well. And that's, again, really, really important. If you can't tell my my expression of the importance of how important that is, um, very important of what Sam Cooke did for music, for the black community, for himself, and for society as a overall, and for the civil rights mu- civil rights movement as well. Um, very important for what Sam Cooke did. So one question, one question segment. What would you ask for with Sam Cooke if you had the opportunity to talk to him once more, to sit down and have a conversation with him? What would be that one question? Or what, what would be the one thing you'd do with Sam Cooke? Would you sing a duet with him? I mean, I would probably want to sing a little bit of Bring It On Home To Me because uh, Bring It On Home To Me because that song is... Um, a classic and one of my favorites. Maybe even a change is going to come. Sing that a little bit. But I'd eventually drop out and just let Sam do his thing because it's Sam Cooke. Um, but but what would be that one question? What would be that one question? And so I think that's something um, that is... I, I love this segment, this portion of the show. And I, I think it is uh, such a, a neat, neat thing to really think about. So I actually have two questions that I would ask Sam Cooke. And I think the second question is kind of somewhat of a sub question to the first question that I have and that is what inspired your desire to turn to secular music from sacred music and then the second question is what were your inspirations when writing songs and so I'm curious to see if when writing songs if he started kind of going to this crossover pop genre when writing and that's what led him to eventually and ultimately go into pop music or was it the fact that he knew that he could have success he or that and that's what he wanted and so that's that's something that we still don't necessarily know um but what inspired your desire sam cook to turn to pop music from gospel music you were having a good career you had a great group with the soulsters you had you you were well known in the gospel community you were you were allowing gospel music to be on the map to have a dot on the map and to be considered um somewhat popular throughout this time and as mentioned earlier to have good crowds at the shows and and that's really important sam cook not only the business side of things and his own personal career but he did this with gospel music as well he had a way about him that really allowed music to get out there and then I mean, it shows just how talented he was and how intelligent he was as well. So what inspired your desire to turn to secular music from sacred music? And what were what were your inspirations when writing songs? Those would be my two questions. Um, you know, there's so many things that you could you could ask Sam Cooke, so many things um, that you'd be curious by. You know, what what's your account on that night of the tragedy of, of your death? What's What's something that with your music that really inspired you overall, not just writing, but with your music as well, and the sound of your music, such a distinct sound. What what would it be? What would you say it would be? And um, anything like that, to me, is just so intriguing, especially with Sam Cooke, the legend that he truly is. 
But I just want to thank you all for tuning in for this week, another week of the summer series at home sessions of the days that music died quick reminder to like us on facebook right here at the days that music died to like us on twitter as well at the days that music died and i promise i will get better with using that uh that twitter page as well it's one of my big things i'm working on for throughout uh the summer to really by next fall once i get back on campus to um, really have that up and running uh, that is the Days of Music Died Twitter page. And quick reminder that we are recording, and I will have this edited and posted up on the Facebook page later this evening. Quick reminder to tune in two weeks from now on June 18th on a Thursday. Quick reminder to tune in then as we are in our summer series bi-weekly set um, and schedule for the Days That Music Died. A few more tunes featured on the end of this playlist. Some that I want to pinpoint is a change is going to come. The big civil rights anthem um, released in, throughout 64 and 65. I wish you love. What a wonderful world. And bring it on home to me. And these all four are some of my personal favorites by Sam Cook. Thank you for tuning in. We'll have that podcast up later on as well as the playlist right after the show. I hope you all enjoy and I hope you all are staying safe and are well as well. We'll catch you in two weeks on June 18th. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you later.